discover Star Trek Discovery with us as we recap and critique the episodes with a little sass and humor. Okay, maybe a lot of sass and laughter. Ready to laugh with us? Hello and welcome to Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. I'm Manika. And I'm Andrea. And welcome to episode four of season two. I'm not going to try and pronounce the title of this, of this uh, episode because I think I'm going to butcher it. But basically, as a quick little recap, this is a, we're still sort of dealing with Tilly at, right after the whole little blob is taken out of her. And now the ship is still on this, on this journey to find um, Spock. So basically, the, t- the team is just trying to figure out what is going on, what is Spock doing, how do we get past this point, and then also what the heck was on Tilly. So let's get right into it. What is your initial reaction to this episode? So it's kind of meh. I mean, there are some aspects that I like of this episode and I have a particular connection to a character that went through a big journey arc. Um, but the pacing of the episode was a little slow for me. And um, I'm looking forward to talking about Saru and also what happens to Tilly in this episode. I dislike this episode. I, I, everything that I said last episode that I was excited to see where like we're finally getting into the action and something's gonna happen. None of it, nothing happened for me this episode. I was the entire time. I, I don't know. I just was like, <laughs> why did you choose the way that you chose to show everything? It's your con. I felt like they were just having the characters contradict themselves so many times throughout this episode and then like getting on other people for not understanding that they changed their mind without any explanation of why they changed their mind and person's just supposed to believe oh you had this huge revelation outside of the room that I'm not privy privy of so yes so I should I should have magically known to like change my mind it was just there's this stuff this episode it pissed me off I was like why <laughs> yes there are plot holes and communication holes. <laughs> yes. And it was just like, okay, you're supposed to be smart. What are you doing? But we'll talk about that as it, as this episode, as we go further into this episode. But there was something that you wanted to discuss. You wanted to discuss a Star Trek short called The Brightest Star and how it um, right. correlated to this episode. Go ahead. So quick heads up. I highly suggest everyone watch a short track called The Brightest Star it's not in the same paramount like feed as discovery it's actually a separate series that they created before between season one and season two of discovery but it doesn't include all of the characters in discovery so they made it a separate like i don't know spinoff so their episodes are usually between 10 and 20 minutes but check out the brightest star underneath of uh, short tracks and you'll learn more about Saru's origin story and how he became um, what we know of today as a Starfleet officer. And it's really important for his upcoming journey. So just to give you a heads up, everyone, big spoiler alert, I'm going to mention some aspects of that episode. So if you want to like watch it before I reveal these spoilers, stop it now and then hop off watch it for 15 minutes and then join us again. <laughs> okay. Or if you're like me, you don't like, and you don't care about spoilers. Keep, let's, let's do this. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> except for like outside of this episode just for the fact that you know I'm watching it season by season episode by episode but it's neither here nor there so there are two main storylines in this episode uh what's going on with Tilly and then what's also going on with Saru which is in contrast to what's happening to everyone on the ship but Saru is the only one sort of feeling it um so who should we talk about first let's uh let's do Tilly so Tilly's storyline in this episode she is girls going through it in this episode like there's <laughs> there's no other way um I, I can think to describe what Tilly is going through just to say that she's going through it um we see that the spore is uh not really responding to anyone or that blob or the fungus or whatever it's called isn't really responding to anyone um and it had an effect on Tilly until we see Tilly almost feeling sorry for it feeling like she's connecting with it um, we see a little bit of an interaction between um, Paul and the other engineer, which I always forget her name because I just always remember the actress's name. Um, but Jet. we see, I'm sorry? Jet. Jet, yes. Because I'm so bad with names and I really need to get better with that. But we see the interactions between them. And I will say they those interactions were probably the best part of this episode for me. Because <laughs> um, they were funny. She was like, hey, look, I'm, you can't offend me. I'm unoffendable. Like you're trying to, and I guess I'm offending you, but you're not going to offend me. So what did you think about, um, basically what's going on with Tilly? What did you think? What is your thought process on that? So I'm glad they didn't leave us hanging after the last episode in which they captured the blob. I don't know what else to call this, but the May blob. Mm -hmm. And they captured it and they put it inside of the um, the glass area where, where Paul usually transports, but, um, that doesn't solve the problem <laughs> what mm -hmm. happens to this thing. <laughs> and, um, uh, it's basically a creature from, of uh, the Marcino network. So they have to deal with it. And, um, during, um, an issue that they have on a ship with a with a bigger spear that's happening outside of um, engineering, the um, the blob gets loose, and as you're right, it attaches itself to poor Tilly, and in the meanwhile, like Jet and Paul are having like like engineering kind of like. I don't know. Here's my turf, and here's a new person coming in. Conflict. Having like a, a dance off, but like yeah. with, with like words and like I'm smarter than you. You think you are, but you're not. Right. <laughs> it's and a so, dance off. They're having a show off, like a, a smart off. I don't know what the word is, but they're having. I don't. I don't want to say debate because it's not a debate, but it's a competition of of smarts and wit and mental gymnastics going back and forth and jet is just like look you're not gonna beat me because right i'm not you can't i can't get offended <laughs> right right and jet is so like i'll use duct tape i'll um uh, i use fixed resources to get things done you're like a farmer paul and you use you have this garden of magic mushrooms and spores <laughs> and i, I don't know how dressing. your works your, your engineering is different than my engineering <laughs> but in the end they end up drilling into tilly's head to like put a, a, a sensor inside her head and i'm like <laughs> you couldn't numb her in the world that you're in the ship that you have 
you couldn't numb her. Instead, you have her sing her favorite song and then you wait till she's done singing to do the, like, I didn't get that. I would have done it while she was singing because at least if she was singing, she was focusing on the words. You waited until she was like literally done and then you just said pop. And I'm like, okay, like I get that it was a quick little injection or whatever you had to do, drill to get the little implant in her head. But there, there had to be a better scientific right. way to get right. that inside of her head right. without her being freaking conscious while you were doing it or feeling the pain. <laughs> like, right. And this is Paul being like empathetic, like having a little bit of feelings to help distract her. But that I, I was surprised to think she didn't scream more than she did or, or pass out. <laughs> I was like, yes. That was, that was really crazy um scene there and it's that's hard to to get past um but in the end like they they were able to pull the blob from out of her from out eject it again from tilly but then tilly got absorbed into the the blob (laughs) like it grew so big and then like it took her in and then they cut it open and they take her out and then she's like okay now I was like, now you're reaching. Now you're definitely reaching. They pull her out and she's like a little bit high. And she's like, what's going on? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. If the person who has the connection with the thing that's going wrong and they say, hey, did you just see that? And they believe them. They saw something. Cause Paul's like, nothing's going on. And she's like, no, I just saw, okay. Paul, listen, I understand that logically you didn't see anything, but Tilly has legit been attacked by this thing more than once. Right. More than once. If she says she sees something, she saw something. (laughs) Right. Also, Paul should understand that because he has seen things that they don't see. Like he went through, I don't know, a million killings with Henry Mutt, with Harry Mutt. So he definitely has gone through things that they don't relate to. So uh, yeah, Talisa's having a, she's having a different experience than you, Paul. It's like, Mm -hmm. just help fix this problem. (laughs) So so between the two, Jet and Paul, Jet, yeah, and Paul, they didn't seem to be able to um, stay focused to to keep Tilly in a safe space. And they were also trapped in this engineering um, room to handle this. So it was just three engineers. I, part of me felt like it was Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Like, or the, I guess it more like the Three Stooges. And they it just definitely, it together. It, this was definitely, that part was, th- that goes again to the part of this episode that it was just, I don't know what was going on in the writer's room, but I feel like you had so much that you could have done with this. And then yet it just seems so, hey, let's pick a plot out of a hat and then make it work. It didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason, which granted we could be completely wrong. And by the, um, and like the next episode could make all of this make sense, but I just don't see how they're going to do it. Though we do get to see a different side of Tilly. Um, we get to hear a little bit more about her history um about how she feels the reason the blob chose may was because may believed in her when tilly didn't believe in her herself um and that sort of shows that this is a sentient life form like it made conscious decisions and thoughts and it wasn't just something that was to trying to take over her it was something like as like a virus it was more of a i'm going to 
trick you to do what I need you to do because stuff is going on. Um, so it was a little interesting to see that May, like she valued that friendship because May was probably the first person to believe in, well, not probably, but was the first person to believe in her, even when like Tilly missed it, she saw, May saw something in her that she didn't even see in her. So right. and that also, was nice. Yeah, it made me think that there's a lot more going on in the Marcio network than what we believe what we know so far from Paul and maybe this is connected to why he looked scared and was like running out of the room after um a few jumps ago there's something else that's going on there and maybe there's other consciousness there's definitely I mean there's the society that May was part of so that uh, the consciousness that adopted May's characteristics this is all fantasy to me and i like i like more sci-fi so. <laughs> um, it's very interesting to see that there that the blob is doing this um basically because paul probably without even realizing what he was doing is messing up their network it seems right. um and that's the reason why she would not or it would not let go of may was because she didn't it didn't trust Paul to fix it um, because like that's a huge, huge network that he was never meant to be a part of. And so he may be only be scratching the surface of it. He um, probably doesn't know like a fraction of what is going on in there. He's like, there's infinite possibilities and he's only touching the surface. Also, and he trained the Terry and Paul, the and Paul to access the network. So who else, you know, that he's basically, this problem could spread in the wrong hands. It could. Network and, yeah. So it's just, it's Tilly's storyline was a lot of ups and downs. I feel like this episode or this part of the episode with her was rushed. I think that, um, well, it just felt like it wasn't really fully flushed out. And the ending of it now is we don't really know where Tilly is. At the end of this episode, we don't know where Tilly is. They think, because we never saw her back inside of the of the blob. They got her out. They got high. They inoculated themselves and realized that, oh, crap, Tilly's gone. And they think the thing absorbed Tilly again. But we don't know. We don't know if Tilly ran. We don't know if Tilly is back in there we don't know what we don't know we're left wondering where's tilly what happened because they don't show us her body or any part of her inside of the blob thing which is just disgusting the whole thing is just disgusting <laughs> and for uh, all the people this to happen to it's like oh <laughs> <Tilly's>, <laughs> she's a junior officer or you know she's not mm -hmm she doesn't know how to deal with these types of things yet and stress and yeah anxiety yeah. so we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break and we'll, when we and when we come back we will be discussing the main plot point of this story of this episode which is what's going on on the bridge and with Saru so don't go anywhere and we'll be right back and welcome back to Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. This is part two. Guys, we have so much to discuss in this next episode. Okay, so let's get into it. 
So basically, this whole episode was about them trying to find Spock. And Pike was able to ascertain Spock's location in warp. And so they are shooting off into the direction where he is so that way they can intercept him in warp and they can figure out what the heck is going on with Spock. Did he really kill those three people? Like, what is going on? Um, and we get to meet Pike's number one, and I like her. I'm liking her a lot. She's like, I want a burger, and I want, I want the, I want, I want, I want the shake. I want all that. It's like, yes, girl, a girl who eats some food. I love it. <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> With some hot sauce, jalapeno sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yes, hot sauce in my bag. Swag. Yes, I love it. So, but then while they're in war, or while they're on their way, Pike is telling Michael this. And she's like, he's like, so we're going to get Spock on the ship and then we're going to all figure out what's going on. And she's like, I can't do it. And I'm like, girl, literally like yesterday, last episode, you were all gun ho Like you need to make this right with Spock. And now that you're what you're the, apparently you're the older sister. So it's up to you to make this right. He doesn't have to forgive you. You did the wrong thing. And he's going through something right now. He needs you. He needs to know that you're on his side. Hello, this is the perfect opportunity for him to realize, oh, you care about him because you're trying to clear his name. Like, what's what make it make sense, Michael? Like, what it where did this come from? Like, what I feel like they have her always flip-flop her decisions and it makes her seem indecisive and it's very annoying. Like, do you get that with her? Or like, is it just me? Like, I feel like whenever she makes a decision on something, and not even with when she comes to new information. They always have her make flip-flop on like emotional yeah. decisions when like yeah. to show that she's a little bit weak in a certain area. And I'm like, why do you do this? <laughs> yes, yes. And I don't know if Amanda felt that the last episode, but at least Amanda seems to be fully vested and interested in helping Spock because it doesn't seem as though Michael is really the big older sister wanting to roll up her sleeves and get this done michael's just too wishy-washy flaky to um i don't know she <laughs> i don't i don't get her character and i also think that sometimes she's just um there's no consequences for her and some of her her actions hmm. it's um yeah it's a uh, it i don't know what they're doing with her character but I don't need someone who's a robot, but I also don't need someone who I can't trust anything that they're going to say. They're sort of making her seem untrustworthy in her personal life. I feel like because she's always going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on what she needs to do as an adult. And it's like, look, you were able to take responsibility for something that wasn't your fault at the battle of the binary stars because you felt guilty about Giorgio's death. If you could literally face jail, you're literally telling me you're too afraid to face your brother. You face being all the ridicule and all that stuff, but you, you're not strong enough to face your brother and apologize, even though you know you're wrong. I just, no, it just, that does not show the same person. Right. Like even yeah. if you admit it to his mother, what you did what you did for a good reason it was a horrible you executed it you executed it horribly but your intentions weren't really to hurt him it was to protect him your intentions were to make sure that he wouldn't be a target because he was always around you and why wouldn't you man up 
even more now to say, I'm going to help. And I think when I started this episode, I saw the recap again of the previous episode and I went back and watched the ending of it. I think she, I think part of the reason they had to change her mind is I think Amanda looked at her different mm-hmm. when Amanda found out. And I don't know, they just keep making Michael seem weak in her emotional air and emotional part of her life. And I know that she's stunted emotionally, but like you, the most obvious decisions that she should make, they keep having her wishwash on them. And I'm just, I'm not liking, I'm not liking it. But as the episode goes on, after she tells Pike, okay, look, no, I'm not going with you. I'm not, I don't want to speak to Spock. I can't do this. They're pulled forcibly out of war. And I don't think this ever happened before. I don't remember, I, I don't think I've ever seen someone being forcibly pulled out of war. I've seen them stop because they've been attacked, but never from an outside force stopping them from warping. And then they're come face to face with this with this fear or sphere. I'm going to say, I, I initially thought it, would, it was Spock. Mm-hmm. Did you? Or did yeah. you think, it, what did you think it w- was before we saw the sphere um, that was pulling them out of war? I had no clue. I was just, I, I didn't have an idea of what it was. I just... I was just also hoping it wasn't Klingon, but I was like, uh oh, something's gonna happen. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, I didn't think Klingon, but I did think Spock. I was like, is Spock hacking into them? What's going on? I feel like he's smart enough to do it, but wishful thinking on my part. But this sphere is about a hundred or sphere, because I don't know how to pronounce words. I apologize, people. Um, is about a hundred thousand years old. And it seems to be attacking the ship in almost like a computer virus because it can use organic and inorganic material. And so it's baffling all of the crew and it actually changes the universal translators on everyone's, um, on everyone's uh, translator. So now they're all speaking different languages. And I had a question about that because why can't, why wouldn't she be able to talk to Pike just normally? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get for like the other races and even people like, but like this Pike, like was English not her first language? Because it made it seem like it was. I, I really don't want to sound like ignorant, but like when I say English or whatever, I, did you think that was weird that the people who were yeah. I guess, all from earth couldn't right. speak? Well, and, and I heard Pike say that Earth English is their standard. So I was confused by that. I was also thinking, well, why, why can't you just like either write stuff down? I don't understand why there's no other method of communication. <laughs> yeah, like it, <laughs> it made it seem like really, I was like, really though? Like, okay, but you know how to write, write things down. Yeah, you're right. Like, you know how to write, write things down. Okay, this is a different language that you can read okay then turn the translator off right because you speak english right. and you speak english so turn the translators off and speak english to each other <laughs> i don't know it just that scene made me um i was just like really though like i get that there's some people on the deck who may speak a different language than english because they're maybe from another country another planet whatever but all y'all from earth I'm pretty sure you all speak some form of the same language because he said Earth Eng- Earth English is the standard. I'm, y'all couldn't have like, hey, turn them off. 
okay, I'm speaking English. Can you understand me? <laughs> Wait until the Klingons or the Ferengis find out that the weakest link of, on the USS Discovery is the Universal Translator. <laughs> that is a mistake. Like that is a huge flaw in, within Starfleet. That if the Universal Translator goes down, y'all can't talk to each other on the bridge? <laughs> okay. That makes sense. So Michael then has to uh, call Saru up to the uh, to the bridge. And Saru at this time is actually going, he has a cold. He's not feeling well. He ain't looking well. Dude is down. Cause like he is hunched over. And normally, you know, Saru, he's stand tall, shoulders back, neck up, like, mm-mm, like no. Full military garb or standing position, whatever it's called. And he is like hunched over. And she's like, hey, you know, 94 languages. So can you help clear this up? And he's like, yeah. He's like, did no one else bother to learn another language? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, Saru, call them out for being in the inter, a interplanetary vessel. Your job is to go to other planets. Right. You right. talk to other people and no one knows another language. That right. is the most right. American thing in the world. <laughs> That is the most American thing. Yeah. I felt like Tilly had the like, this is math people moment. And for Saru, it was like, oh, this is the humanity. Like, learn a language. (laughs) Like, if you are an ambassador to another country, I would expect that you would take the time to learn the language, to know how to do general everyday conversations with the with the people that you are going to be living with. Right. But Saru had to manually walk around to each console and like reprogram it. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was, um, yeah, it, it, it's not it, easy ways for them to get knocked down quickly. Take out a universal translator. They're all screwed. Even the people who speak English to each other and that's their native tongue, they're right. screwed, which is right whatever and so the spear also i think weakened discoveries system so then it was hard for anyone on the bridge to communicate to other units other departments outside of the bridge so mm-hmm. they couldn't communicate with tilly at the time so it was like separate isolated areas to work together because they couldn't communicate back if they had to run over literally go to the other unit to talk to them and vice versa. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm surprised there's not Morse code, some other way of sending information back and forth to other outside of the bridge. You're right. No, you're completely right. It's just like, you get so advanced that when it goes down, you're like, it's, it's just like us when we lose our internet. Well, what do we do now? And it's like, we all, like, at least I know from nineties and up or nineties and below, I guess, oh, yeah, 90s and below. Like we all grew up without internet. We know how to survive without it. But literally if my internet goes down, I'll stare at my TV like, what am I supposed to watch now? Like I don't have cable. <laughs> like I, there's like, there's not literally a world of things that I could do. It was like, you lose that one thing that you become so connected to. You lose your phone and you're like, I can't function in this world anymore without my phone. And it's like, it shows you lose one thing and everything else goes crazy. Right. Um, so then but we go ahead. No, go ahead. But we end up finding out that the spear wanted to communicate with Discovery and share out its knowledge that it's been gathering for the last hundred thousand years. Um, 
it took them a while to figure that out. And it was, I think, mainly when Michael went down to see Tilly and she realized that Tilly and May and um, Paul Jet, they were trying to communicate with each other that Michael had this epiphany. And then she returned to the bridge to say, oh, the spear wants to communicate to us and wants to share its information with us. And meanwhile, Pike was ready to fire on the spear, <laughs> take it down because it was taking away all of the, the energy, I think, from Discovery's, um, all of its power. So it was, um, I, I want to say that Pike just had a, and the rest of Discovery crew on the bridge just did not know what was going on. And they had to trust Michael in this, um, Michael's hypothesis. So I just want to talk about that part <laughs> yeah. because Michael was on the same side as Pike in the beginning, because it seemed like the, ter the temperature of the sphere was rising and it was becoming, it wasn't getting close to the same temperature of the, of the sun and basically saying, Hey, this is about to blow up. And they basically, if that was happening and you're, you realize that you can't get away from it, of course, you're going to try to destroy the thing that you think is going to kill you. Right. It's um because you know it's Starfleet's policy to never fire first. But like in this case, they only thing that they can see is that the sh the ship is being destroyed and there's a virus infecting the entire ship, and it's going down around them. Um, there was literally like an electrical surge in engineering. We saw that with the voice translators. So the thing is, Michael has this epiphany when she's not on the bridge. Right. So the only people who heard her have this epiphany is the people in engineering, Jet, Tilly, um, and Paul. So when she goes back to the bridge to tell Pike not to do it, she's acting like he's, like he, like he, it was almost crazy of him to even think about destroying this life form. And it's like, hey, it's not crazy for him to think of trying to destroy it because as far as he knows and everyone else knows, the thing pulled it out of warp. It's planted a virus within its system. They can't contact anyone. They're basically a sitting duck. And the whole point of being out here was going after Spock and they're losing it because if he gets out of they if he gets out of the sensors range, they'll never be able to contact him or find him. So Pike on paper is not doing anything wrong because I would do the same thing if I was captain. Hey, this thing's destroying us. Let's destroy it. So then she's like, so then they have her do like this emotional plea for the thing. And I'm just like, Michael, it's not that, it's not that serious. You, you met this thing like an hour ago, like chill. This is not the space well. This is not the space well floating through space, not hurting anyone. This has hurt people. People on the ship are very, in, are very injured. It's not out of the realm of the norm to think, hey, we need to get out of here. It's like, it's a hundred thousand years old. We imagine everything that it knows like it's, it's our duty to to catalog catalog all the knowledge that it has we cannot destroy it but you're 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 neglecting the fact that if you they go through with this there's a chance that you're gonna die you're all gonna die too because this is blowing up there's you can't stop that so then of course the thing blows up and it pushes them away and then she's like it pushed us out of the way and i'm just like okay seriously are we are we really getting emotional about it? You were about to die 10 seconds ago. You all were about to die 10 seconds ago. Like as far as all of y'all knew, y'all were about to die 
10 seconds ago. And I think this is like my hill I'm about to die on. I just felt like that whole, her, the I guess the emotions that they were trying to have her emote did not fit the scene for me. Um, I don't think they were warranted. I think she she had more emotions about the sh- about the sphere than she did about the space well. And I feel like they have her emote on different things at different times. And it's just, or, like emote in a way where it's like, it's not really warranted at the time that she's, emoting because even the people in the bridge are like this is our duty they all look at each other and smile i'm like no no as far as you guys know you're about to die <laughs> like you cannot have that click of a she's right no you're hoping she's right right but you're not sure that she's right and right. it's like this whole part of this episode was like yes i'm glad that she was right but you guys didn't know she didn't even know that if she was right she was believing that this is what it wanted to do but you right. weren't sure. Yeah, that's the main point that I wanted to mention is the fact that there is a lot of trust in Michael's judgment, which we know has been wrong in the past. And then Pike did pivot based on his gut of what he believed Michael was saying. But if this was Lorca or Terry and Giorgio, they would have still fired on mm-hmm. the spear just to save the rest, just to save themselves, let yeah. alone the rest of the crew. <laughs> but but um, they put a lot of faith in Michael, which I'm not quite sure is warranted because it also seems as though Michael at this point in time didn't even want to chase to find Spock, her mm-hmm. own brother, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Michael, I have issues, with, <laughs> I have concerns about Pike always trusting Michael's judgment. Um, yeah, sometimes it works, but sometimes it's just really bad. The bad choices there. <laughs> and it's not consistent. It's I don't not. know. If it was number one who also joined on the crew, I would feel a little better because she seems very logical. Seems like she does a lot of research. And she has a history with Pike too. Yeah. Like they don't, Michael doesn't have this history with Pike. And I feel like Pike is using his history with Spock with Michael because it's because again even though I don't believe she's responsible for the Klingon war because she did not throw first the Klingon threw first um as far as everyone knows she's the reason all those people died she's the reason for the Klingon war starting so like you're randomly going to start trusting her like you don't know her personally at all Spock doesn't talk about her she's all she openly admits she doesn't have a relationship with him like if I was best friends with someone and I found out that they had a sibling that they never spoke about ever, like ever, and that sibling was just got out of jail for treason, I'm going to feel a little, hmm, should I trust you? I mean, I know you've been through a lot, but should I trust you? Should I tr- okay, so it was manslaughter. It was manslaughter. But still, your sibling has never said a word about you and I'm supposed to trust a sibling with my life and they have never said a good word about you to me. I'm gonna look a little different at you. I'm just not going to implicitly trust you. Yeah. But there's a whole nother scene that's going on in this episode. And that is Saru believes that he's about to die um, because that is the way he like biology, the way that his whole Kelpian biology is, is that um, when it gets to a certain point, when his ganglia act out the way that it does, he's there getting ready to die. They're getting ready to be culled by the predator species on his planet. And 
Michael's like, no, Saru, we can't let this happen. We have to figure out a way to get you away from the sphere because it didn't start happening until you got here. And Saru's like, it's going to happen, okay? Chill, relax. It's going to happen. Like, I know it sucks, but I know, like, I can't defeat biology. My body's about to shut down. And they're back in his room and he shows her a flower from his, um, from his home planet with a knife that he got from his sister. And he sort of says like, Michael's like his sister. And he, like, she, he, um, this was a whole emotional scene, which I, in my mind, I was just like, can we, this is not working for me. <laughs> this is where I'm like a cynic when it comes to like emotional forced emotions. And I just wasn't believing the scene between them. I didn't believe a single tear. I didn't believe a single emotion that was on either of their faces. I didn't like, and like, as in how they said they cared about each other, like as a sibling, like they were like, he, he she reminded him of his sister um, and the please. And then the only thing that he said this entire episode emotionally that I, that I connected with was when he said, take my journals and ha- and disregard Starf- uh, Starfleet's prime directive when it comes to my planet. That was the only thing that he said to her that I believed he meant. <laughs> right. Well, I also want to back up a little bit because Saru helped save the day on the bridge a few times, not just when he helped uncode the, the issues with the language translator, but I think also the download there was a time in which he left the bridge and everyone stood up and looked at him. And they noticed that he was sick and he was not doing well. And so I was thinking, I wonder if they know that his life is terminal because it was only Michael that was next to him in the bed. And I think they have gone through so much together, the whole crew, that why would only Michael like, I would think that there would be some other way in which the rest of the, at least bridge crew, I, I, I wish Tilly knew. Like, there are so many people I think that is connected that would want to know and at least say farewell. Like, if my, like, good co-worker was dying and I didn't have a chance to say goodbye, that would be awful. <laughs> it's like, I, I just felt like that scene with Michael and... Uh, Saru when he when he thought he was dying I thought that that was strange because there were one I would think other people would want to comfort him and to share some words or something I just it just seemed a little weird to me (laughs) so you're a good person I'm not so I wouldn't have done any of that I I don't need to be there like I were to yeah. say goodbye or, no. or right nothing I don't want to be there no I don't want to be there when someone dies do not like it just it unless they personally ask for me no because it's not like yeah, unless Saru personally asks them to be there no because I'm not going to insert myself when I'm not if I'm not needed um but Saru wanted Michael to like basically kill him and that I was like no we're not like she she he wanted her to like basically right. cut the threat ganglia before the madness and all the pain set in and i was just like she's crying and i didn't believe it i don't know why i'm just a cynic on this episode but i didn't believe like any of them the emotion she emoted to that to him and i i get him not wanting to be surrounded i mean that's a, it's a it's a personal time he's about to die he doesn't i wouldn't want to be surrounded like don't come see me please no 
Like, I don't need you to see me in the state. Because this is the first time we saw him without a shirt on. We saw more of his body. We saw him right. in a more vulnerable state. Right. But remember, Michael turned her back to him and was disappointed with Saru for not telling her this information earlier. So I, I was just feeling that Tilly would feel the same way. Like, I wish I would have known that he was sick. I wish I could have at least said my last goodbye, even in the hallway. Like, but it's everyone stand up in the hallway to walk as but, he walked into his quarters. But, but I, it's, not, it's not up to him to factor in their comfort for his death. Like, he has to come to terms with them. But he did that for Michael, though. He wanted Michael, he, he wanted Michael to ease his pain. If he could have gone, I, before, oh, I think, okay. I honestly think though, if he could have gotten away with it, because the only reason he told Michael was because they kept pestering him. He's like, look, it's terminal. Leave me alone. Like legit. That's the only reason he told them that he was going to die was because they would not leave him alone in sick bay. And the doctor wasn't believing him when he was saying, Hey, I know what's going on. It's not, trust me just leave me alone. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't leave him alone. So he admitted I'm going to die. And so then he's like, look, I'm going to die. Do this for me because I don't want to feel the pain and the madness, not for Michael's benefit, but for his, it, his death wasn't to ease any type of thing for her because it's not for him to do that. It's not his responsibility to ease what she wanted to say. It's not, he's dying. He can die however he wants. So I think he just literally, he was using her. He was literally, that's why I didn't believe any of it. He was like using her to ease his pain, which you should have just said that. Like, hey, I need you to cut well, these off so I can ease, so I don't like feel all the pain and everything yeah. coming. Well, I still feel like he could have called the doctor that he, when he went to the med bay, he could have called her to oh, uh, cut off that. the angle. Sorry? They wouldn't have done that. Medically, doctors are supposed to do no harm. They can't do that. He, medically legally they wouldn't be allowed to like i if think you, if he no but I, I i would hope in the future there's a living will and trust i mean he can state what he wants to do at a certain point in time like euthanasia is I, we've seen that in other episodes of star trek but I'll, I'll i'm just saying this to say that in the end end up being similar to a wisdom tooth once it was able to be extracted once the gangla fell out he was okay <laughs> it wasn't as terminal as he thought but because... oh, he was i think he definitely was terminal it was it was the fear that was killing him and the moment they like, michael was right when they got away from it and this the day the ganglia was gone he felt if they were cut off versus them them dying off it wouldn't it would not have been different okay so from the brightest star it seems as though when kelpians reach a certain age they are beamed out of their planet and then they're asked and then they become slaves elsewhere. And they think though, it's because they're getting too old and they start to run through this pain, but it's actually, that's not the case. Um, but I, I think the ultraviolet light part from the spear was hurting him because he was seeing that ultraviolet light, I'm not 100% confident it was the sphere itself that was changing his, his biology. So I think it was coming of age. It's from, from what I've seen, but that could be just how I interpreted the brightest star. 
Yeah, but I'm saying, but if she cut it, if she cut it, I, it wouldn't be the same as it falling out. Because they 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 dried up. It's like if they cut it, they still be there. It's just por- portions of it would still be there. Is them falling out, which is a part that made him feel, I'm Superman. But like if she had cut them, I don't think it would have really. He wouldn't have had the same effect unless they actually were all gone and fell out. Is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. that the ganglia is connected to his, I don't know, cerebral something in him about as connected to fear, right? And he feels more liberated. He feels more powerful now. Um, so this might be also a change in how Saru uh, makes decisions and reacts, similar to when Paul, uh, yeah, Superman. Um, yeah. So this will be interesting to see see his his change um as also um on the bridge too with decisions his first instinct will not be to run and hide so and now we know that he wants to also change the prime directive for his planet so that's also something interesting so we've talked about a lot in this episode we discussed so much um let us know what you think um but before we go off any final thoughts or your final review of this episode i feel like this is a long journey to find spock can we get to spock (laughs) (laughs) let's find spock already (laughs) let's leave tilly alone (laughs) like bring tilly back since she's okay and let's find spock and we'll move on and find out what's going on with the red angel (laughs) <laughs> I am feeling like this is I agree with you this is a very long journey to get Spock it's reminding me of Game of Thrones of winter is coming winter is coming when are we going to get there um I'm seeing more fantasy than I want in a sci-fi show so I'm hoping that gets cleared up I hope the red angel is just like another alien and not a mystical mythical being because I don't want that in my Star Trek. <laughs> um, I want this to be more, or I hope it's just like a very long alien being that can live for a very long time and that just saves people randomly, which is cool. Do that, be that. Don't be a mythical being. I'm here to help you. Mm, no, let's stop that. Cut that out now. Um, this episode did not make me smile. This entire episode I felt was a lot of forced emotions that did not work well, at least to me. If you guys disagree with me, let me know. Um, I am a cynic, so when it comes to like emotions in general, so I just didn't believe anything that they were showing. I was just like, all right. Except for Tilly. I was believing Tilly. I didn't believe Michael. Tilly, Tilly pulled it off. She made it believable. Michael and Saru did not. I was just like, all right, guys, just cut them. Cut them at this point. Cut them. Um, so yeah, I know I'm evil, people. I'm evil. She's the she's the good one. I'm the no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not the good one. <laughs> so thank you for stopping in. Thank you for listening to us. And we'll see you next week. But as always, I'm Andrea. And I'm Monika. Live long and prosper. Live and prosper. Hey guys, it's Andrea. Thank you for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast, Trekking and Beyond. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. 
If you enjoyed listening to us, please go ahead and support us by clicking that support button in the episode's description. We greatly appreciate it. As always, live long and prosper.